We had a nine o'clock service today and went flawlessly. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we are so honored to have you all back with us today. It's good to see faces I haven't seen in a long time. It's good to see some folks. Yep, it's batteries. Aaron, I would love, yeah, fresh pack would be awesome. I'll just hand you that. I gotta move, man. I can't be, you can't contain me. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is great to be back in the Lord's house. I think uh, Henry Holmberg's mullet in that video may be the star of that video. Uh, next week, we get to dedicate his little brother and sister twins. And I've never done twin baby dedication, and I actually practiced last week trying to put one in each arm, and it didn't go well, because they're almost one now, because we haven't been able to dedicate a baby in a long time. So uh, Miss Rachel is going to help me uh, carry one kid, and I'm going to carry the other, and we're going to dedicate them to the Lord and dedicate ourselves as a church to them next week. I can't wait. We're going to pick back up in our series on Isaiah next week as we walk through chapter 12 about God of the nations the rest of this month of April. But today we're going to take a break. Oh, is it not done yet? It is done. Oh, you, you tricked me. It's like tapping me on one shoulder and then coming on the other side. Aaron, sneaky. There was a family at the nine o'clock service that had known Aaron from back in his Louisville days and they uh, made visiting today such a priority and they said, we just love Aaron and we miss him so much. And I said, yeah, we got him now. Thanks. <laughs> How's that, Nick? Thank you. There we go. Yeah, get that out of my face. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. It is a glorious morning to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And we're going to take a break from Isaiah. We're going to dip into one of my favorite passages about the resurrection and its implications. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me today to 1 Peter chapter 1. You got Hebrews and then James in the back of the Bible. Then you got 1 and 2 Peter. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able to in honor of the Lord's word as we read today from 1 Peter chapter 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you 
in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, as we age, it's funny, I know some of you roll your eyes when I talk about aging. Uh, our church, age is a relative term. We have a couple of uh, members who are 101, so age is, uh, you know, you hit 80, you got a long way to go, okay? Uh, it's not, not old yet at all. But as we start to age, you know, we start to take on certain tendencies. And, and my folks are here, Reverend Ken and, and Mama Kay are here uh, today. And uh, I've noticed that as I approach the big 4-0 uh, in a couple months, actually, that uh, I've started to take on some tendencies of my parents. And it's very disconcerting. It's very problematic. And you've probably seen those Geico commercials, right, where the kids about my age, young, very handsome, young adults, you know, like myself, are um, aging and they're, they're taking on the tendencies of their parents and they're wearing track suits and baggy khaki pants and white tennis shoes and they hire Dr. Rick to help them unbecome their parents, right? And to, to throw away all those throw pillows and the no fussing, no cussing sign. You don't need that, okay? Uh, and what I realize, one thing that I tend to do as I get older is to lament these days that we're in. You know, I start to, to long for the good old days. And I was a youth pastor for 12 years. And even now, as I look on social media and, and some of the news and stuff about, you know, teenage culture, and I find myself thinking, oh, kids these days, get off my lawn. You know, I, I catch myself thinking that way. And I'm, I'm about to call Dr. Rick to get me out of it. The truth is, we, we don't live in a terrible time. The truth is we live in a broken world and that's been the case ever since Genesis 3 and the fall of creation. But the truth is we live in an incredibly privileged time. The truth is we live in an incredibly blessed time. The truth is that the prophets longed to live in the time that we live in now. Angels for millennia have longed to understand what we now know on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection. In our text for today, the Apostle Peter helps us to, to unbecome complaining, I won't say our parents, but it helps us to unbecome complaining people who are so bent in on ourselves and, and navel gazing, he shifts our gaze upward to look at the Lord and God and Father of us all who has done something so amazing for us and we get the privilege of living in this time, the now but not yet, the tension of everything has changed in this new era that has been ushered in by what? By the resurrection of the Son of God and leads us into this new coming age that will once be fully inaugurated when Jesus returns. We get to know these things. Instead of shaking our head in dismay at kids these days, we should be shaking our head in amazement at what God has done for us, at the fact that we get to live in, in act four in the drama of everything ever, the new covenant people of God who get to play our part in what God is doing in this world as he makes all things new. 
You know, Peter's writing this letter of encouragement to a group of churches that live in the northern part of Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And that whole region was firmly under Roman occupation. In the whole first century, uh, the Romans really persecuted uh, Christians. They tried to blame every bad thing in the Roman Empire on the Christian people. And so they were suffering. I'm sure that hope was in short supply. I feel like in our world today that hope is often in short supply. We as Christians have a hope that is undefiled, unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven and guarded for us. And it comes through the resurrection. So Peter calls on Christians in both the first century and today to just take a step back, to unbend on ourselves and to ask what is really going on in the big picture of everything that God is doing throughout history. He reminds us that we have a hope, a faith in that hope that is a greater gift than any gold than anything this world could possibly offer to us. So we're going to continue to work our way backwards in this passage. Look at verse 12 again. You see, verse 12 of this passage says, It was revealed to these prophets that they're serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Greek word for long here means that they stooped down. They bent down to see what was going on. They long to understand what God is doing. They long to figure out what is, what is it that God's up to in this plan of salvation. Look at verse 10. Let's keep going backwards. Verse 10 says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, like Isaiah, who we've been talking a lot about, who prophesied about the grace, the unmerited favor of God that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. These prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all these prophets had the Spirit of Christ in them, according to Peter. They had the Holy Spirit revealing things to them about what? About the coming grace that would come through the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Rescuer, the One appointed by God to deliver His people once and for all. They knew that was going to happen, but they couldn't figure out when and exactly how. So they, they searched, they inquired, they tried to figure out what's going to, how's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? In what way is it going to happen? It reminds me of my, my kids around Christmas time. You know, those first few weeks in December when they start snooping around the house, trying to figure out where their Christmas presents are and what they may be. Especially this year uh, where we didn't do a lot of shopping in person. And a lot of our shopping was, was through packages coming. Uh, our oldest was convinced that every package that came was his new PlayStation 5, which he did not get, by the way, a PlayStation 5. But he was convinced he was going to get one. And so every package that came, no matter how big or how small it was, he said, oh, sweet, my, PS4, my PS5's here. All right, good. PS5 finally came. <laughs> we kept saying, it's not a PS5. You're not getting a PS5. And he didn't get a PS5. 
But we have to tell our kids, quit snooping around the house. They pick up packages off the porch and shake them. Stop doing that. They wanted to know what the good gifts that were coming were. They wanted to figure out what good things were in store for them, which is exactly like the prophets. They knew that good things were coming and they, they shake the scriptures, the Hebrew text to figure out what those good things were that God was promising, revealing to them through the spirit of Christ. As we walk through Isaiah this year, Isaiah was a prophet who lived 740 years before the grace of God was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see in Isaiah all these amazing prophecies about the coming king. We just read one last week in chapter 11 about the king who would come, the Mashiach, the, the anointed one, the Christ, who would be that deliverer, the mighty king of all, not only God's people, but the world. And he talks so much about the Messiah that scholars refer to Isaiah as the fifth gospel, along with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's as much about Jesus in Isaiah as there is in the gospels just about. And Peter tells us that Isaiah and these other prophets had this gift of the Holy Spirit that was prophesying to them and through them. And they wanted to know more. And some of them were revealed that the Messiah would not only come to rescue, but he would also suffer first. A few nights ago at our Maundy Thursday service, very different service than this, purple cloth still up, no flowers, burlap on the table. Aaron uh, Duncan, there he is back there. And our, our worship team led us in Isaiah 53. Remember that, that passage, remember verse five, the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What did the prophets know? They knew that the Messiah would suffer. It says in verse 11 that the, they predicted a twofold uh, idea of the testimony that the Holy Spirit gave them. And the order is very important. It says that they would understand the sufferings of Christ and then the glories subsequently. The subsequent glories. Last week, we talked about Isaiah 11. Again, the coming king. Verse one says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That means from the line of David, King David, a king. But unlike the other bad kings, this branch from his roots shall actually bear fruit. It'll be a good branch. And then verse five says, righteousness will be the belt of his waist, faithfulness, the belt of his loins. And then it just builds, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat because of what the Messiah does. And the calf and lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. I was thinking about that verse as we were watching our kids tell about Easter Sunday and what the importance is. And then it just builds to a crescendo. Verse 10 is even better. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall not only Israel, but all the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious as he sits on his throne to rest and reign over all the new heavens and new earth. He will be filled with glory. 
These are some of the subsequent glories that Peter is talking about in verse 11. Subsequent is a big word. Don't panic if you don't know what it means. Subsequent just means something that follows another thing. It means something that comes after something. That's really important in our text for today. Subsequent glories. You know, I love the end of the Gospel of Luke. Some of you know the the road to Emmaus story in Luke chapter 24. After all the events of the wildest Passover that Jerusalem has ever seen, where this rabbi came in and cleared the temple and and drove out the money changers and said that that you tear this temple down, I'm going to raise it up in three days and build an even better temple than this one. My body's going to be the new temple. He said all these amazing things. Then he was betrayed and killed, crucified on a cross. And then they couldn't find his body. Someone must have moved it. (laughs) These these people are leaving Jerusalem. They're going back to Emmaus. And the risen Christ in the Gospel of Luke, he, he rises, but he doesn't appear to anybody until he appears to these two people walking on the road to Emmaus. And he hears them talking, and it's, it's, I think it's comical the way Luke tells it. He shows up, and he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Let's pick it up in verse 18, Luke 24. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? It's almost like everybody knows. You don't know what's going on, man. Come on, get in the, get in the know. And he said to them, Jesus says, oh, what things? <laughs> He's just messing with them. I love it. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. He died. But we had hoped, we were so hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. That implies, but he's not, because he died. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) And Jesus says, yeah, we know that. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they, him, they did not see. Jesus says, yeah, you see him now. He said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer these things and enter into his glory subsequently? He didn't say subsequently, but the order is significant that he should suffer and then enter into his glory. It's all been there all along in the Hebrew scriptures. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 65. We know that all these prophecies tell about the Messiah and that he would suffer. He would not be the glorious conquering king. He would come as a king unlike any other, a king of an upside down kingdom that subverts and that eventually makes all things new. How does Jesus enter into his glory? Through his death and resurrection. 
When did Jesus die? Remember that what happened in the temple? When Jesus died at that very hour, the curtain, the massive heavy curtain that separated the Shekinah glory of God, relegated the, the glory of God to a safe, contained place in the Holy of Holies, was ripped in two as if two massive hands from heaven ripped it from top to bottom. And the glory of God was unleashed on the world and on us through Jesus' atoning death. But Jesus didn't stay dead. The glory of God was revealed in Christ through his resurrection. If Jesus had stayed dead, as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 points out, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says we're pathetic if Christ has not been raised. We're wasting our time. This is all for naught. Let's just go home, eat our ham, and be done with it. <laughs> but that's not what happened. Christ has been raised. The resurrection of Christ was the first and the greatest of the glories that were to come after his suffering. He rose from the grave in triumph. Then he ascended into heaven 40 days later. And then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, putting his feet up on the footstool of his enemies in the seat of glory from which he reigns and from which one day he will return again with a billion angels swirling around behind him to say, enough. I'm here to wipe away every tear and make all things new once and for all. Those are the glories that are to follow his suffering. I only have three points today. The first is that the resurrection brings glory to the Son. It brings glory to Jesus. The glory that comes after suffering comes through his resurrection, his ascension, and his seating on the throne, and then is eventually where he will reign in glorious triumph on his throne over the new heavens and new earth, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the second point is like it. The resurrection brings subsequent glory to us as well. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Keep going. To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you. Because Jesus died and rose again, we have a living hope. We're born again into hope. And the, the word hope in English doesn't do justice to the Greek word here. The Greek word is elpida. When I was in seminary and trying to learn my vocab words for Greek and Hebrew, I, I would learn that elpida, I would say, help it on the way. <laughs> elpida, help it on the way. <laughs> Help's coming, rescue's coming. And Elpida isn't like, oh, I hope this happens. You know, when Isaiah prays, you know, he's four, and he prays, he's like, God, I, I hope the coronavirus goes away, and God, I hope that dinner's good, and God, I hope that we have a good day tomorrow, and God, I hope. And it's kind of like this wish fulfillment. That's not what Elpida is. The living hope that we have is a resolute certainty. It's a resolved fact that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. 
And what is that hope? It's that imperishable, undefiled, unfading hope that's being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, as verse 5 says. You know, our hope is in this glorious salvation that will only be revealed in the last time. That salvation means that it's not one glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. That doesn't count as singing. I'm not Bill Sherman. I'm not going to try to sing in my sermon, okay? But it doesn't mean that that we're going to escape this place. I love that song when you hear it at the Ryman or something on bluegrass. It's great, but it's terrible theology, okay? We're not going to just escape this place someday. God's going to make everything that's wrong right. Injustice will be punished. We know that he's going to fix everything that's broken. Tim Keller says that Christians view even the hardest circumstances as part of history guided by God at every turn toward not merely some kind of afterlife. We're not just going to float around on clouds and play harps. That sounds miserable to me for eternity. But he's We're moving towards the resurrection of our bodies and souls together into new, remade heavens and earth where we will reign in glory with Jesus forever. That's where this is all headed. So how then shall we live? Besides praising God and giving him thanks and and, and, and honor and praise for what he's done for us, will our future hope of glory, subsequent glory, informs our day-to-day living now. For one thing, the resurrection changes the way we deal with the trials of life. Look back at verse 6. In this salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be, found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Keep going. Though Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Keep going. That is inexpressible and filled with glory. Keep going. All the way to verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's where all this is headed Our temporary trials are pointing to something bigger, and we're going there eventually. Our glory, like Jesus's, is subsequent glory. It's not going to come fully in this life. But because we know where all of this is heading, we can rejoice in trials. Just like Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, we too can endure the trials that we encounter for the joy of salvation that's set before us as well. Remember Romans 8.18. The Apostle Paul writes from prison, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory, the subsequent glory, that is to be revealed to us. You know, there's two ways to enjoy something. There's two ways to find pleasure in something. And they both involve suffering. You can suffer on the front end or you can suffer on the back end. And I would submit to you that the best things, the best kind of pleasure, the most satisfying things, the best joy comes from the things that you suffer on the front end for. For example, I may want to eat the whole pizza. That may bring me joy in that moment. 
It may be cake for you. I'm not a huge cake fan. My wife would rather have cake than pizza. But when you eat the whole thing, you suffer later, right? But if maybe you want to live a healthy life, that's going to take some suffering on the front end. But living a healthy life is a good thing. Does that make sense? You may want to be financially stable. That means making some sacrifices on the front end, not on the back end. The cheap thrills of this life, you will suffer on the back end for those things. And it is not worth it. Muhammad Ali, not a prophet, but a great boxer, once said, I hated every minute of training. But I said, don't quit. Suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. Suffer now. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Our God has suffered for us and he has overcome the world. Therefore, we are champions as well. We are more than conquerors, as Romans 8 puts it. And we will reign with him in glory in the end. The question is, is it worth it? Do we find the joy of this glorious salvation, the subsequent glory that the resurrection has brought us, more compelling than the fleeting pleasures of this world? You know, this is not the first pandemic. Not yet, Will. (laughs) Go back, buddy. You know, this is not the first pandemic that our world has seen. In the early uh, stages of Christianity, we know that in the Roman times, there were pandemic illnesses. They were rampant. How did the Christian church do? Did it, did it die out in the pandemics? No, it flourished and it grew in the midst of pandemic. How? The historian Kyle Harper says this about Christians. For Christians, it was a positive program. This life was always meant to be transitory and just part of a larger story. What was important to the Christians was to orient one's life toward the larger story, the cosmic story the story of eternity. They did live in this world, experienced pain and loved others, but the Christians of that time were called to see the story of this life as just one of these stories in which they lived. The hidden map was a larger picture. When we believe in our hearts that the subsequent glory of the resurrection in our life, in our world, that the big picture is greater than the cheap thrills of this life, then we live into God's purpose for us and for our world. That's the third point we'll go. (laughs) Resurrection brings subsequent glory to our world. You see the progression. Jesus' glory after his suffering, our glory after our suffering, the world receives glory after its suffering. Subsequent glory. The resurrection of Christ is a great reversal. As Samwise Gamgee put it in Lord of the Rings, everything sad is going to come untrue because of the resurrection. Death itself now works backwards. The gospel subverts the ways of this fallen world. Will we allow the resurrection then to empower us, to encourage us to wait for a better glory? for a more fulfilling and satisfying glory? Can we know this morning that our faith, our certain hope is more valuable than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, our faith being tested by fire will result in our salvation. The world needs hope right now. 
The world needs real, certain hope. It needs Elpida hope. The only hope for the world is found in the subsequent glory of the resurrection of the Son of God. We have suffered, yes, but there is hope because the tomb is empty. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you did not abandon us to this world, to our own devices, but you sent your only son to come and live among us, to die an atoning death for us, and then to rise again in victory, moving into subsequent glory, calling us now to live into subsequent glory, and then blessing our world with subsequent glory. And we know ultimately it will be made new completely. Lord, we ask that you would help us to live lives that are set on the things that are above. Help us not to settle for the fleeting pleasures which we suffer for on the back end. May we be compelled by the subsequent glory that is ours in Christ, that we already live, live into partially now and one day we'll fully realize when you come back and our bodies and our souls are reunited in a glorious resurrection just like you were raised from the dead. God, the resurrection changes everything. It seals our hope. It has birthed our hope. And it forever promises that our hope will not disappoint us, that our hope will not put us to shame because it is resolute, built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ who walked out of the grave. Lord, help us to be resurrection people who live that hope out daily in our lives. May we not be dismayed by this world, by this time that we live in, but may we give you all the honor and praise for the salvation that you have wrought for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. It's in his name that we pray, amen. We're gonna have a time of response now. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the free gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith in his death and resurrection, I invite you to do that right now, to put your trust in him, to just pray a quick prayer and say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I need you. I surrender all that I am to you in this moment right now. If you wanna do that, you can do that right now and come talk to me. I'm gonna be down here at the front and come talk to me about it. I'd love to talk with you right now during this song. Maybe you've never been baptized and you realize I wanna follow Jesus's example of dying to myself and being raised into a whole new kind of life. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you wanna join Woodmont and you say, I'm in. I wanna be a part of what God's doing here. By God's grace, we, we finished our last fiscal year with the, the biggest overage that we've had in I don't know how long. It's been amazing how God's blessed us even in the midst of pandemic. It's been incredible the leaders who have poured into the lives of our children and our youth and our college students and our senior adults and our meeting adults as we continue to pursue God's calling for Woodmont Baptist. If you want in on that, we believe in church membership. I'd love to talk with you about that. Whatever it is that you need to do in this moment, don't leave this place this morning without having encountered the risen Christ and being compelled to hold on to the hope that he offers. Let's stand and sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow.